Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Uh, my guest today is uh, Sean, my friend in Glasgow. And uh, Sean, what are Hello, we going to talk about today? Um, well, I think it's been a while since we've had a, a chat, and I think, um, as we know, things haven't been the same. You know, we've 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 been in um, lockdown. I've been in isolation as well, so I've been even less um, out of the house than most people. Um, and even if we, you know, we could have a chat about how that's affected what we're wearing on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, are we going, are we going back to the same thing? Um, are we are we sort of digging into the wardrobe and seeing what else we can wear, what's comfortable around the house, that kind of thing? Um, you know, I think that's uh, certainly a subject. I think for my, for my part, uh, summer and uh, not going out much coincided. So my um, sort of sartorial sense has... Uh, I wouldn't say gone down the toilet, mm. uh, but uh, there certainly has been a lot less focus on it. Yeah. Uh, those that follow on Instagram will see that uh, I don't post an outfit photo every day because basically I'm wearing shorts and a t shirt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's normally in the summer, there's a little bit of an element of that anyway, isn't there? So whether, you, whether you're going away on holiday and you tend to just pack a few, a few things to pack light or you know, if you're just going to be kind of sort of spending quiet days in the garden or, or whatever, it tends to be uh, sort of light trousers or shorts and, and, and a t-shirt. I, you know, I've just found even more so um, sort of not being allowed to leave the house really um, for, what, three, three and a half months that you, you, you're kind of just washing and wearing the same sort of four or five t-shirts and the same few pairs of cotton trousers on on a sort of a weekly basis you know um and, and you're keeping it sort of very limited um and as you say it might be a, a case of that if you, if you had a little dig further down into your wardrobe i actually have a pile of um summer stuff way up on the top of the wardrobe that i haven't even looked at yet um which has made me feel quite guilty so i'm sort of thinking right you know there's all these clothes that were summer clothes that I've, I've still not worn you know and it's now the middle of august the children are back at school am i going to wear them probably not so you know it's probably time for um a sort of fairly major clear out i think um you know it's made me sort of think well that's that's a good a good impetus for me to sort of start thinking about what i what i can get rid of you know um whether that's sell or um donate um or recycle or whatever um, what about yourself well, I did find this year that I didn't actually buy any new stuff this summer, which mm-hmm. was a bit strange. But then I started digging through what I already had and found out uh, for staying at home, not going out much, I mean, old stuff was good enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it does, that, it does the job. Which means it? that thanks to the pandemic, uh, we all became that much more sustainable. Uh-huh. You think so? Silver lining there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, all right, there was the online option for people, but even then, I don't think people, you know, talking to to others that there doesn't seem to be that impetus to go and buy new things because there was nowhere to go to to wear them. So you would just be, um, you know, maybe buy a couple couple of extra T-shirts or whatever, or, um, you know, if you see something you like. Looking back on... um, Instagram history there's 
uh, no, Instagram, I say, on, on, on um, eBay buying. It's, it's, there's very, very little that I've purchased um, since about May, um, April, May, where there was, there was a few bits and bobs. But um, I think I've bought sort of a, a cotton jacket and um, a jumper. And I think that's the only two things, which for me, you know, when I'm usually buying stuff on a weekly basis, isn't isn't a lot, you know. As I say, there just wasn't that drive to think, oh, you know, to even look, to even bother looking um, at, at new things, you know. Um, and as you say, it's, it's sustainable, certainly, um, you know. I, th- I, th- I think it has gone two ways, though, because while I have seen people say that they haven't been buying stuff, uh, that it has been uh, a sort of shopping-free time and all sustainable and think about the environment and all that. I see another side where people are shopping like crazy, really, because they're sitting at home mm. pretty bored. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's loads of stuff coming out, mm-hmm. so there is plenty of stuff available online. Mm. And then there's also been this mantra about supporting the brands you like, the shops you like, mm-hmm. uh, buy loads of stuff, really, mm-hmm. which um, – bit tone deaf compared to the fact that a lot of people have been out of work uh, just haven't had the funds yeah. to be buying stuff yeah absolutely and even more so based on the news that we've had here today about um the, the sort of size of the recession that we're going into and the amount of job losses that are looking at nearly a million yeah it's it's fine to say yes to sport and you know sustain businesses where you can but really you know people are sort of reprioritizing what what they spent the money on for the first time in what probably 10 years um possibly longer you know since the last recession where they've really had to kind of to, to think about it and and you know you'd like to think that it might make people sort of rethink the way that they they're the, you know the constant consumption that that is going on that constant need for something new and shiny you know um you know as i say just talking to people i know um around me that it's it's um you know it's a very similar um situation all around you know so they're not sort of thinking about um, several pairs of new trainers or stacking up on fast fashion this weekend no no and um you know i think that, that there seems to be um certainly from from the people i know and the people that live around near me that um you know, people are still taking it easy and they're, they're not jetting off on holiday at the first opportunity and they're not, um, you know, going out and buying stuff. The, there was a lot of reports in the press um, when the, the shops reopened and, and the, constantly showing this queues outside Primark, queues outside Primark. I know people that work for John Lewis, for Marks and Spencer, House of Fraser, they all had queues. It wasn't just Primark, you know, and I think... There was a little bit of snobbery in the in the mainstream press there, where it was it was a better story to show people queuing outside Primark to buy the cheaper things, and you know perhaps it was people that children that had run out of clothes because they'd grown over the three months, which you and I know both happen, you know, does happen. Um, but nobody was showing the kind of queues outside the, the um, middle market shops like uh, like John Lewis and stuff. But the queues were there. The, the queues did exist in the same respect as they did outside Primark. So I think I don't think we were getting the full story um, with regards to people shopping habits. You know, um, and uh, you know just from even from local. Uh, yeah. local groups and stuff the amount of oh you know when's so and so open or does anyone know when I can buy this or does anyone know you know so 
anyway, I suppose when uh, when people are encouraging others to to support their local um, clothes shops or whatever shops, mm. it's the sort of the, the small hip independent places they have in mind, not Primark or H and M or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, but again, it's not something we have a lot of here. Um, certainly where I live anyway, um, apart from going into city centre where there are independent shops, but there, you know, you still have to go into the city centre, which fortunately for, for me, it just wasn't an option over the last few months. Um, so whether, you know, whether people were shopping, um, in them or not, I, I, I really don't know, but, um, you know, I, I didn't have a, maybe as clear a picture of what, what was happening there. Um, as far as that, cause that was never really the way I, maybe shopped anyway, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, certainly, as you say, the message has been shop local, um, you know, support your local your local businesses. However, not everybody had the money to do that, you know, and not everybody um, could, could prioritise to, to go back on that, that those spending habits, you know. And it's also a question of what do you really need? Because as you mentioned, you've got a whole stack of summer clothes on the top of your, your wardrobe. Yeah. Which you could have, been, could have been using instead of buying uh, loads of new stuff. Yeah, and exactly. I know you didn't buy loads of new stuff, and you're thinking about doing something about the stack of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, for me, it was like a double shock. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I haven't bought any new summer clothes. There are my summer clothes, and I'm still not wearing them. Though, to be honest with you, we've not had the, the greatest of summers here. The, um, the, the temperature has suddenly, you know, suddenly risen as the children have gone back to school over the last few days. But um, on the whole, um, it's it's been a bit of a disaster. However, you know, you could still have worn a t-shirt for quite a few days. But no, um, it was a bit of an eye opener to, to discover that those summer clothes that were sitting on top of the wardrobe had not even been touched. And I'm I'm talking about you know, sort of lighter shirts and um, polo shirts and that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, I think it's definitely time for a time for a big clear out, you know. Um, and again, that it showed me how much do I need and how much can I get by with. Um, you know, I'm not, for me, going out and, and having to, to meet people really on, on much of a daily basis at the moment. I'm not having to go into meetings where I have to dress up. Um, so I'm generally, I'm able to keep it quite casual. Um, so I think I think for me, it's it's time to just have a right cut back, go through the process of what, what I can get on for sale and what I can donate um, and what is really sort of past it and I'll need to go into the um the rag bin shall we say and and um you know donate but it can go into to what, what a lot of the charity shops like you to identify the rag clothing separately so then they can process it separately um mm-hmm. I know more and more of them here that request that um so yeah so I think what I think from my point of view that's 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 good but mm-hmm. I'm kind of wearing stuff into the ground so I'm wearing t-shirts for that's the thing I do as well, because um, I have a real hard time getting rid of stuff. Mm. Um, unless I can sell it and get some decent money for it, mm-hmm. uh, I have a hard time sort of just donating or throwing away stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just tend to hang on to it, really. Right, uh, okay. I give some to my sons now and again, but uh, uh, I think probably my wife thinks that I'm – a little bit of a hoarder. 
Oh, really? Just, just a little bit. I think, though, from your point of view, right, you've probably not got, I might be wrong here, but you've probably not got a lot of clothes that weren't particularly expensive in the first place, so you don't have that financial commitment to them, do you know? So if you've if you've maybe only spent £10 on a T-shirt in the first place, you're more likely to think, right, I'll just chuck that or donate it um, if you're not wearing it anymore or it's getting a bit worn. Whereas if you've spent £70, £100 on a T-shirt, not saying that you would, um, but you would be less likely to 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 want to just go, Ugh, just donate it on, you know? So perhaps I'm coming maybe from a point of view that I've got stuff that's maybe not worth quite as much really. So it's maybe easier for me to do that. Whereas for you, it's maybe not quite as easy um, that you've, you've got a wee bit more of a financial commitment into the, into the item. Would you agree or not? I think there's definitely a, a truth in the easy come, easy go aspect there. Mm. If there's not a lot of investment, then it's a mm-hmm. lot easier to let it go. Um, and, I mean, I, I've been sort of going down the rabbit hole of, uh, of what happens to stuff when you donate it these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the sheer massive, incredible, insane volumes of clothes mm-hmm. that are discarded, if mm-hmm. I can use, use that word, every day. And, I, I mean, we like to think, oh, but it will be reused, it will be sold in charity shops, so mm-hmm. it will find new homes, etc. Mm-hmm. makes it very comfortable to throw it away. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is that about 95% of everything we discard goes to either landfill or incineration. A small portion of it is sort of downcycled into rags or into insulation used in cars. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, a few percentages that are actually sold on and get a, a new home with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes it hard for me to sort of yeah to put stuff. it into that system. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I think I think once people think if it's out of the house, it's out of their mind, so they don't have to worry about it. So if they've put it into a charity bag and handed it in to you know that one of the the, the main charity chains on the high street, that's it. You you walk away from that. Your commitment, you know, you're you're. Uh, you feel fine about it because you've you've said right that's it I've donated it you know I've not just thrown it out I've donated it I've done some good um, and you know maybe people just do not want to hear the fact that um, ah oh, but it's not going to go there or it's going to go there or it's not going to get recycled you know I'm not saying that they don't care but I'm saying that they've probably then just thought well I've done my bit it's up to the it's up to the the charities to then do their bit without thinking about the sheer volumes I mean I um where I pick my children up from school in the car park, there's two clothing charity bins there. I don't know if you have them um, in Norway. You know, the big, the big metal skip things and you just... All over um, the place. Yeah. But obviously, with the lockdown and everything, they've just been overflowing. And going down there today um, and seeing the piles that are just piled next to the, the bins, you know, and they're spilling out because people go and have a little dig and um, it's it's awful, you know. And, and you kind of think, like, when 
when's that going to get back to normal? When are they going to start? Because that's just going to lie there and it's going to distribute around the area. You know, it's got the bags are going to get burst. It's going to get ruined, you know, because the bin's full. So people are leaving it next to it. And yeah, I mean, that's an example. But no, I think it just goes straight to the landfill then. It won't even go via any sorting or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I know what you're saying about, like we were talking about the, you know, if you've got some sort of financial commitment, even if I've got something that, is a fairly well-made garment that I've got for a bargain. I, I still, I am still loath to get rid of it. You know, even though I don't wear it, I'm still loath to to pass it on without getting some sort of financial um, comeback for it via eBay. But it's it's not always that I have the time to to sit and put stuff on. Once I do, you know, if I if I if I allocate a day and I just decide to um, just decide to go for it, then it usually works out okay. And, um, you know, I can sit there and just with my phone now and just got a mannequin, just rattle this stuff on, get it on as quick as I can. But, you know, it's it's the times that even through lockdown, I've had time to do that. I've been kind of few and, few and far between, but it's just making that commitment. So at least you then know that someone else is then going to get the benefit out of that item. That's the thing, person to person recycling. Mm. Mm-hmm. is only true recycling as I see it. Mm-hmm. What I wonder about this, I mean, when do you actually want to sell something? Because I've got stuff sitting around that is, say, trousers that are just a little bit too tight. Yeah. Now, now I know a few years ago they fit right. Mm. And I'm thinking that in another two years they might actually fit right again. Mm. So that's one example. I don't right. want to get rid of them now because, sure. I mean, they're excellent. Mm-hmm. It's just me that's the problem it's It's not me no it's not you it's me thing but there's also um, (laughs) there's also the thing about fashion isn't there i mean well yes because you think you're not buying into fashion but you are you know so you are buying into things that are on a person your age or you know they might not be fashionable as in the latest from a top fashion house but that's not to say that they're not fashionable if you know what i mean so yeah Absolutely. So, so if you've got a pair of trousers and you really like them, but they're too tight and they've been too tight for about a year, would you keep them? If they're sort of, if it's feasible and I like them, I'd keep them. Mm-hmm. If I can sort of, I can't even manage to convince myself in a really convincing moment that mm-hmm. I'm ever going to be able to wear them again, mm-hmm. then I'd pass them on to one of my sons, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have stuff like 1970s uh, suits. Yeah. We've had 50 years to do a comeback. Mm-hmm. It's not happened. Mm-hmm. It's unlikely to happen. Mm, pretty much. <laughs> I suppose so, you have them in the first place, you know. Um, I don't think... I, I, luckily, I, luckily, I don't have one. Yeah, so, uh, I know what you mean, though. There's there's some things that, like... And again, when you're, when you're buying on eBay and you'll see it like um, fun, vintage, and you're like, yeah, that like fun in a kind of fancy dress way if you're going to a fancy dress party, but, you know, not in any other way. Um, and even, you know, suits that have been sort of particularly well-made, Savile Row suits that, um, that are going to struggle to sell because of the way they're cut. Now, they could they could take them to a good tailor and get them adjusted, but 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 once you've paid the initial price and paid for the name and then paid for the other adjustments, you know you could have got yourself a decent, probably brand new suit. But um, yeah. less satisfying, obviously. Um, but that's why the you know when you look on 
EB that a decent made Savile Row suit that's in a kind of fifties or sixties um, cut will go for three, four, five hundred quid. Not no problem at all because um, there's still such a huge demand for them. You know, I do wonder though when uh, when people buy secondhand bespoke suits because obviously they were made very bespokely to mm. the person that originally mm. ordered yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, there's but usually the tailor, an element. Oh, sorry. But the tailor has really made the effort to sort of uh, hide your belly, mm. to straighten up your shoulders, get the arm length exactly right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally bespoke. So, I mean, how close do you have to be to that original person and how much tailoring does it need to actually yeah. make it worthwhile? And, and, you know, again, how much material have they put in them? Um for you to then adjust them so like the trousers you know how much give have you got on the on the hem or um how much give is on the waist or you know or can it be adjusted in i mean what what i've noticed is that the, the the websites that on ebay that are selling those sort of suits so selling the three four five hundred pound suits are very very specific with their dimensions you know um with the jacket and the trousers so it's not just chest size arm length length of jacket you know they go into the nth degree of of lapel length and size and um pocket widths that kind of thing and then rise on the trousers um you know zip length that kind of thing so they're very very specific so almost giving you right there's all your information you go away and work out whether that's going to you know fit your or um I'm quite lucky in so much as if I buy a like a tweed jacket or um, something from the 50s or 60s, which I do quite a lot, if if I stick with a short length and stick with a 38 or a 40, they'll tend to fit me quite well. Um, I don't know if people were smaller in those days. I'm, I'm quite small frame, so um, I tend to find that on those sizes that the, the sleeves will have been adjusted already um, to a shorter length. So generally if somebody was buying a tweed jacket, then it would be a lifetime investment for them. So they would get, they would spend a few quid getting it tailored, you know? Um, and I've, I've always struck lucky um, when, when of the amount of jackets that are for sale from that period that fit me perfectly um, and things that I wouldn't sell on because I know that, you know, at some point in my life I'll, I'll wear it again, but, as far as as far as stuff that you want to to shift on, um, yeah. So you're saying about trousers? Oh, sorry, I'm just completely stuck on the fact that you have a 1950s, 1960s body, basically a, a post-war, pre-hippie era body. I'm just trying, trying to think what sort of era my body is. The self-indulgent 70s, Nick. No, I'm only kidding. Um, no, no, for some reason, might be the cooked up eighties or something. <laughs> you know, when you see these like old photographs of gents like at a bowling club dance or something in the nineteen fifties, that's kind of me. You know, that's like that's what I fit into. You know, um, it's quite odd, like short, wide legs and like uh, narrow top half kind of thing. Um, it's it's a bit a bit weird, but no, I mean you're you're a fairly standard size. You you generally get something that fits you okay. You've never really struggled with that, have you? Yeah, it's just my height that's a bit short. Um, if, I, if, I was ten, if I was ten, 10 inches taller, I'd have uh, fit things a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even find, like, um, trousers that are described as short length are generally between 29 or 30 leg. I find quite often even that's too short for me. That's too long for me. Um, and I've got to, 
you know, to get, to get them adjusted up again. Generally, um, like high street trousers tend to be far too long for me, like a short leg. It's just still too long. Well, admittedly, I'm a 29-inch inseam as well. So, no. um, yeah, the 29's kind of pushing it for me, you know. That's like <laughs> slightly too long, you know, embarrassingly yeah. enough. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, like waist-wise, it, it, I, I never really have any issues getting anything to fit. Um, and I can get away with it. But I th- these are just things that you get to know over time. You make enough mistakes buying online that you get to the point where um, – you know, you get to know what fits you. You get to know what, I think we've talked about this before, what brands that actually, you know, you can put on and go, yep, you know, they've been thinking about somebody my size when they've made that, you know, um, and it doesn't happen very often. So when it does happen, you've kind of got to um, got to run with it. I find um, Italian brands tend to be quite good for that. For me, I don't know whether Italian men are smaller or, I've no idea. The Italian men have very 1950s, 1960s right. bodies. So they, they <laughs> tend to, I tend to get away with that, you know, um, like they tend to be sort of shorter and white, especially with knitwear. I find if I buy knitwear that's made in Italy or whatever, it tends to be a bit wider and a bit shorter. So it, it, it fits me okay. Um, you know, because knitwear can tend to be, Cheaper knitwear can tend to be too too long for me. Um, mm. Just looks a bit nuts. Circling back to the issue of what um, what we'd keep and what we'd uh, discard. Okay. I mean, I said I said I'd keep trousers that were a bit tight. Yeah. Similarly, I'd keep trousers that are a bit too large because yeah. Yeah. you get to that stage in life where your weight does go a bit up. A bit and down. there's nothing you can do about it. And it makes it's a shame to keep throwing away trousers that are good mm-hmm. uh, because next year you might fit them perfectly. Mm. Oh yeah, very but, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think trousers especially because that's that's the one thing that can vary um, quite a lot. But yeah, I would say that for me was one of the main things because um, like your waist size, like even you know, you've got a number that's supposed to be your waist size, but some of them fit, some of them don't. So it's, you know, there's obviously variations within there um, as well, you know. So, um, but yeah, any other items you think that what would sort of make you decide to hang on to it that you might not wear at the time or? I'd just like to take one slight detour there because I actually bought a waist expander for trousers. Mm-hmm arrived last week and i tried it on a pair of my favorite jeans a pair mm-hmm. of jeans which unfortunately are a couple of inches too small in the waist right and uh, i used the waist expander added some um, some steam okay and i managed to expand the waist two inches wow so i could get wow. them on again yeah now i proudly showed them to my wife and she said uh-huh they're still too tight all over though all right <laughs> So, um, yeah, I can get them on, but I think I'm going to have to put some more effort into um, both um, shedding a little more timber. And um, I think if I wear them more, they will expand a bit. I mean, there's the whole thing when you buy an expensive yeah. pair of jeans. Yeah, you have to buy them a bit tight because they're going to expand a bit. And I'm sort of like, how many months is that going to take? Yeah, you see, so what you're doing is, right, let me get this straight. So you're going to buy something that's expensive, um, but might not fit, but 
you, what they're selling you is something that might not fit, but might fit later if you can stretch it. But you, so you pay the amount and then you go and do all the work to get them to fit you. Is that right? Yeah, that's about the size of it. Mm. Mm. I don't know if I'm really kind of buying into that ethos of, of sizing, Nick, you know, I, I mean, you wouldn't do no. that with a pair of shoes, would you? Or a car. Or a car. You know, you wouldn't say it's, it's a, well, I'm sorry, sir. The car you bought, it is a seven seater and it's a bit long. However, what you might find if somebody goes into the back of you and, or, or if you're really not very careful driver, you might be able to make the car a little bit smaller. Maybe. Or you can't guarantee. Or you might accumulate a couple of kids extra. There you mm. go. <laughs> Well, there's that as well. There's that element as well. You know, it's like, how big can I go? Um, watching uh, some of the, the parents in the school car park this afternoon for the first time in five months is, is always fun, you know. Uh, they, the, the Range Rovers and the, uh, you know, to pick up a, fa- a five-year-old child from the, the school playground, you know. Um, it's, and then watching watching them trying to park it and stuff. It's, I sense the topic is sort of drifting off here. So, yeah. I'm gonna... so anyway, so trousers <laughs> size. So jeans, yeah. I think like if I was buying something, and I've got a bit of a thing about that with jeans, where I would I would kind of expect them to fit. You know, I wouldn't. I know there's different types, and we used to buy the shrink to fit that you could lie in the bath and um, you know and get them to to fit you correctly, but. T- Generally, if you're buying something and you're paying a lot of money for it, you would like to think it's going to fit you, you know. And I know it's the nature of the product and it's that, but it it's, it's a whole industry built around all these myths and myths of fabric. Whenever I've bought it, like expensive jeans, albeit secondhand and albeit considerably cheaper, I just feel the way you down. They're like, you know, if you're used to wearing like regular jeans or cotton trousers, or even wool trousers, and you put a pair of these, it's it's like diving bottoms, you know? Um, it's it's like you're going down to find something on the Titanic. It's like you don't think you would come back up. <laughs> well, you see, there I disagree with you, because if I'm going to have a pair of jeans, I want them to count. Um, I don't want a thin pair of jeans. I want heavyweight. I want them to be stiff. I mean, my wife calls my jeans cardboard trousers. Mm-hmm. Fair enough isn't a bad description. Um, I mean, I like uh, 16, 19, 21-ounce denim, Mm. and they're substantial. Mm -hmm. And that's how I like them. But surely... I wear wear the trousers that are thinner, but not not jeans. You don't work in the steel mill anymore, do you, Nick? I do, yeah, part-time. Because I'm just just, trying to equate where your job and having to have stiff trousers i just think that you know it why are they comfortable are stiff trousers comfortable not really no so, so if you had a nice pair of even heavyweight cotton trousers what we used to call in the 80s chinos so a nice pair of cotton trousers super comfortable you know you can wash them when they get dirty, which is the other thing, you know, so nobody's going to shout at you for washing something that's dirty, you know, so I don't walk around with my cotton trousers with a big stain on them and going like, oh, it's okay because they're like, they were expensive, but they're comfortable. So when I wash them, they're comfortable and I wear them, they're comfortable. But it's whenever I've bought jeans that 
are that bit thicker or that bit thick. Well, it, it just doesn't seem conducive to like wearing on your legs. It's like they don't bend properly. They hurt your legs at the back. Um, you know, they're so, as you say, they're so heavy, you have to slide down. And I'm not wearing braces, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just like, I just find, I th- and I, I think, think maybe you're awesome. just, you're just thinking of them as trousers though. Oh, is that where I'm going wrong? I think that might be ah, where you're going wrong. So what you're I'm not getting the ah, signaling aspect of God it. God almighty, you know, I, I beg your pardon. This see, this is always my mistake. So where, when, when I get up in the morning and I'm dressing and I'm standing there and everything, I've got everything else on and then I'm thinking, right, what is it I need? Do I just need trousers or do I need diving bottoms you know yeah what are you going to be doing today well i'm going to drop the kids off i'm going to i need to go to um the shop for something i need to you know all the way all the way do i want to go to the forge (laughs) do you know that it's a a shopping center in glasgow called the forge um actually because it's on an old old forge Um, but i don't think it's the kind of shopping center that sells like 200 quid jeans not that anyone would ever spend two hundred pounds on jeans. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. It's way too cheap. Oh. You can buy a denim factory for that. Yeah, um, yeah, but it is part of the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. Would, would, would you buy um, sort of tweed that wasn't Harris tweed or Donegal tweed? It was just a sort of looks looks like tweed. I think yeah, I'm as guilty of it, and and I'm kidding really because. Yeah, I mean Harris. You, you know Harris Tweed like isn't the most soft of handle of product, you know. So it's not people don't stroke your arm and go, oh, that's lovely. They'll go stroke your arm and go, ow, you know. I have not been tempted to buy any Harris Tweed underwear. Which I no, think. no, and it, it, I would imagine it isn't popular. Um, I think scarves can be, but socks maybe, but I don't know socks. Um, it's really not something you want directly on your skin. Even on trousers. I mean, I've got a pair of tweed trousers, but they're not Harris tweed, and I just, I'm just not sure. Unless they were lined, um, they wouldn't be yeah, an issue. Be yeah. so half lined. It's that's again. I suppose that's part of the the appeal of it, isn't it? It's it's hardiness. It's it's um, all weathers kind of gear. You know, where all weathers gear that isn't like Gore-Tex or or whatever you know it's it's an actual wool it's an actual sheep um that's on your back and and it's roughest if it's roughest form and i think you know you're also signaling that you can stand to suffer you're a hard man and you're wearing something that's superbly itchy but you can take it uh uh-huh. yeah you're not you're not bothered you 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 it's got a scotsman basically or a northern could be, Indian. Your body is and your lower body is encased in cardboard trousers. Yeah. <laughs> You're wearing some boots that are going to take you another three years to break in. Yeah. You can handle it. And you you will walk across a bog um, or walk across a, a grouse moor um, and not complain about having leather soles and not complaining about having unbending trousers or um that the fact that your tweed jacket because it's raining is now weighing four times the amount it did um when you left the house that morning so these things you don't complain about you just get on with it you know there's nothing um, a mug of tea can't fix no exactly um and and that that's why men's wear is a bit different than uh, than women's wear. That's why it's you know why a lot of people either a steer away from it or uh, sort of you know 
be laugh at it. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of rules, shall we say? Yeah. I think there's only a, a subsection of men who actually appreciate stuff like that, though. I mm. think I think you're very right about uh, most men, as most sane people probably do. Uh, give priority to some comfort. However, in, when you look at the truth. other end of the spectrum, right, on trouser comfort, I've only ever, ever bought one pair of tracksuit bottoms. And it was when I'd, I had an operation. I knew I was going to be around the house for a while. And I thought, I'll get a pair of tracksuit bottoms. They're not comfortable at all. It's not a, com- I don't find them a comfortable thing to wear. There's, there's this massive drawstring sort of waistband that's either too tight or like falls down um so you're constantly hooking them up and like i don't know part of my discomfort with them is is not a physical discomfort it's a discomfort that if somebody came to the door and saw me with them on you know that's that's part of my discomfort it's not just the physical but i don't like them either ideally i like a just soft Nice soft cotton pair of trousers. Do you think maybe the trackies were sort of sloth signalling? Yes. Which was not what you were after. No, like I understand the need for them. So the need for them is if somebody's run 400 metres and they need to keep warm, to keep their legs warm or whatever, um, they pull on a pair of tracksuit. That's that's like tracksuit, you know, track suit, right? We know now that they've sort of become like fairly mainstream and the word that like I can barely spit it from my lips athleisure um it's two words isn't it athleisure so like they've become sort of like slightly more formal and slightly more, it's it's just like no cuz like they don't try and make jogging bottoms out of denim do they there's a very good reason for it so why are they making like jogging bottoms look like formal trousers. And so anyway, I'm, I'm sure someone has, but uh, yeah, I don't think they uh, really, really struck gold. No, I think I vaguely remember as a teenager elasticated denims where they were like elasticated at the bottom. I don't know if they made it to Norway. That was a thing. I think it was uh, yeah. early nineties. Well, maybe it'd be early nineties for you, mate. It was mid eighties for me, but um, well, that would be about right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know the ones I mean. Though the word, the word, there was a small sort of window of. Uh, uh, where they were, they were sort of vaguely, vaguely popular, you know, um, along with the uh, tartan ones and pinstripe ones as well. Tuesday in October, yeah, uh, never to be seen again. Nineteen eighty four or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think, like, I think there's there's extremes on comfort, and I can I can I can actually understand why it, the, the sort of breaking in factor of the genes and stuff. I just Perhaps I've not got the patience to to do that. I've got a sort of fairly high end pair of Levi's ones that are um, I'd got quite cheap second hand, price price, and um, they're like XX five hundred ones or something, big E selvage, blah blah blah, and um, they're extremely stiff. You know, they're like extremely firm, and I know that. Like I keep thinking, I'll dig them out and just wear them around the house and kind of soften them up because I think there would be lovely jeans once they do soften up. But it's just getting them getting them to that point, you know. You could try soaking them. Some say that that helps. Um, in my experience, it probably yeah. doesn't help that much. But uh, I mean, you give it a few washes and they'll soften up. I, I actually washed them at 60 degrees twice um, because they were slightly too big and it, and it did bring them in a bit. Um, 
And it, it hear the sound of pitchforks uh, being sharpened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I did was I read all the advice about um, putting them in your freezer, um, you know, and, and not washing them for 18 years and going around smelling like a field and all that. And I read all of that and I said, I'm just going to ignore all that and I'm going to put them in a the washing machine at 60 degrees, which I did. And do you know what? It didn't ruin them. They were fine. Lord. They came out the same colour, right? There was a lot of blue in the washing machine, but they seemed to come out almost the same colour. They, they, they seemed to have lost very little, and they, they shrunk at least one inch waist size, um, and they were absolutely fine, and they fitted a bit better. The fact that the washing machine was blue indicates that they were coloured with synthetic indigo. Ah, right, okay. Interesting little fact here. Good. Because um, natural indigo, when it's washed out or um, or put in water, it turns a a sort of really nasty yellow colour. All right. You can also smell jeans that if they're natural indigo, they have this quite funky smell to them, Mm. even before you've started wearing them. All right, so uh, can, can we just rewind there again? So you're buying something that's not comfortable and smells and is expensive from new. Okay, let's just add that to the list of uh, things. Uh, unique selling points, yeah. Um, oh, well, that is yeah. very interesting. Because, yeah, there was quite a lot of blue. There was quite a lot of blue came out, actually. Um, it's a little known fact that about 99% of denim today is coloured using synthetic indigo, and it is some really nasty chemicals in mm. it. So the natu- Which, naturally, the denim would be what colour then? Is it like a lighter blue? Uh, well, I mean, it's just plain cotton to start with. Right, okay. Yeah, I see. But, uh, but with the natural indigo, which is, comes from the indigo plants, yeah. uh, well, you can get various shades of blue there. But, uh, of course, synthetically means you have a much wider range of, of colours and probably mm-hmm. greater depth of colour as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, very interesting. So it's you're going to pick all the... Or to grow and then pick and then process all these indigo plants. Yeah. Gosh. I know. It's all these things that you don't know. You see, there's all these processes that people will just accept, you know. What's accepted? The thing about not knowing them is that you don't have to care about them. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah about and, them. Um, oh, obviously, the manufacturers are not in a hurry to, to let anybody know either, are they? They're not particularly in a hurry to to let you know if there's any nasty chemicals getting used in things or um, in the process. Although with cotton, certainly the, the, the water usage um, for, for processing cotton and, and producing cotton is now, that information is now becoming a lot more widespread. Um, but, you know, like I still think if it's a, the option of cotton or a synthetic fibre, then surely cotton's still the best. I don't know. Cotton is still preferable from an environmental aspect, yes, but preferably organic cotton or there are some initiatives to make cotton using less uh, pesticides and chemicals Mm -hmm. and water. Mm -hmm. But generally cotton isn't the best fibre. Things are improving now um, with um, linen, hemp, uh, and also there's more recycling of actual fibres mm-hmm. and technology is pretty advanced for to, uh, to be able to separate fibres. Right. Fibre garments has been the scourge of uh, recycling because there's just been no way to, to separate them. But now that is uh, it's coming online as well. So things are looking mm-hmm. better there. 
I suppose, yeah. I mean, in, in that respect, it's still fairly early on in the, in the in the process where you know you might find that the, the technology and the and the you know the understanding of how it's done and how to do it will will get better and better. You know, um, but it used to be the it used to be the the shops themselves that invested in textile technology to. To, to do these things, you know, not just to develop more synthetic fibers through, you know, working with ICI, that kind of thing that M&S used to do in the in the 40s and the 50s to, to develop all these synthetic fibers, but to actually develop the recycling process as well. A lot of retailers, you know, would, would have been involved if, if, if they followed the same ethos that they did in the 40s and the 50s about how they dealt with their fibers and their fabric if they did that now and invested in a bit of research um, and then that would go down the line, you know, doing it that way rather than relying on the producer to, you know, because the producer will just keep producing if the manufacturers keep selling. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, I think everyone painted, painted themselves into a bit of a corner with the, with the recycling side of things because, of course, all these mixed fibres which couldn't be recycled have gone straight into landfill. Yeah. and. Uh, once they can actually be used again, then that will be less in the landfill. But mm. the fibres have to be of a certain quality to start with. And I think a lot of the fast fashion products, probably a lot in mm. general, mm-hmm. the fibres are really pretty poor quality to start with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. So again, we're back to buy less, buy secondhand. And really keep and wear out what you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is the clue here to actually use up the clothes we have. Yeah. And yeah. Same for everything. I mean, yeah. you use up your car. Uh, how long can a car last? It lasts yeah. a hell of a lot more than five years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could. And I think, you know. I think if you do use up things, then it is more acceptable to actually buy new stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think, yeah, so once you've, like, if, you, if you've bought something once, generally most stuff in your wardrobe isn't that old. You won't have bought it that long ago, although I do have items that are particularly old. But, you know, on the whole, on average, most people will have bought most of their clothes within the last, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm thinking on different numbers here, but I would say most people's clothes will have been bought within the last 10 years. Yeah? You might go, you know, it's probably cool. like five, but for me... 10 years is kind of, you know, if I looked at mine on average, I would say it would actually be, if I took out the secondhand stuff, it would be about 10 years. I think of stuff I've bought myself, anything over 10 years is sort of stuff that I've kept for some reason or other, uh, a band T-shirt from 1995 or right, okay. uh, not anything I'd probably wear. I do. I, I think I've got at least four or five um, pieces of knitwear from that I would have bought in the mid-90s that I'll still wear um, fairly regularly um, and are still fine. Um, generally, John, John Smedley is a, a brand I've talked about in the past that um, generally the stuff that you buy today is as good as it was sort of 25 years ago um so i'm if i'm wearing stuff and washing stuff from 25 years ago that's either merino wool sea island cotton um nice lightweight stuff and i'm still wearing it and it's kept its you know kept its shape kept its color blah 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 um i'm happy 
to to, to keep wearing it because it's it's not it's not what you would call particularly fashionable. It's just a sort of set style of crew neck or polo neck or V neck or whatever, um, and it and it does tend to to last. Um, I'm trying to think footwear probably not because my sort of tastes have changed considerably. But yeah, I, I think like if you looked at what I've got, I would say ten years is about about an average um because generally i'll buy stuff that like if i'm buying even buying second hand i'm buying i'm not just buying it to wear once or twice i'll be buying it because i want to keep it do you know what i mean so um i'm not replacing fast fashion with secondhand buys so so i'm able to get that constant buzz that the fast fashion fans have that's a mouthful you know so i'm not buying quickly on 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 second hand so i can keep buying i'm buying for stuff that i'll i know i'll wear and perhaps stuff that i wouldn't have been able to afford brand new you know i wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be able to justify it interesting point there about buying it to wear it lots because i noticed my uh, my daughter when she's been offered stuff recently she started saying yeah i don't think i want that because i wouldn't wear it many times yeah i'm thinking that's good do you know that um, and then I noticed, um, was it Make It British on Instagram had this example, uh, this sort of calculation on why it was wiser to buy something expensive and British made instead of a fast fashion thing. And mm-hmm. they'd compared two jackets. It was a £43 fast fashion jacket, mm-hmm. which they said would be worn five times or something like that. Well, mm-hmm. 40 times. It cost a pound a pound of wear. Right. But then they said that the British made equivalent jacket would cost some five six hundred pounds but would be worn 180 times a year over 10 years and hence it would only be 29 pence per wear Mm. and i was thinking i sort of get where you're going with that but no one would buy a jacket like that and then wear it six months of the year every year for 10 years no and and the fact that you're absolutely right, Nick. And the factor that people aren't taking into account there was just because somebody can afford an expensive jacket made in UK a few hundred pounds, that person is not necessarily then not going to buy any more jackets. Do you know what I mean? So if they're in a position that they can afford to spend three or four hundred pounds on a jacket, which you and I know is a fairly median range at times, you know, it's not top end, that they will be able to afford to buy more than that three and four hundred pound jacket they'll be able to buy a few um so then the wares go down do you, do, do you know what i mean so it, the interesting thing is that the i mean the sort of maths here don't get that much worse if the person only wears it two months a year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean it would be actually made for a better example if you saw that you could actually buy a british made jacket wear it a few times every year and it would cost you no more per wear than it did for the fast fashion Mm-hmm. jacket you just had for a single year so yeah no yeah. absolutely and and you know it's it sort of still it still does make sense but i think sometimes they they, they sort of ignore the bigger picture that you know if you've got a 400 pound jacket you're immediately excluding perhaps 90 percent of the the male population that could that could afford to spend three or four hundred pounds on a jacket um and the the 10 percent that can are not just going to buy one jacket and say, oh, well, I'm being sustainable because I'm just buying the one jacket and keeping and wearing it, you know. Perhaps with a suit, you know, perhaps people that maybe buy a blue suit and a grey suit, bespoke suits, get them made, um, 
they're, they're going to get a lot of wear, you know, so they're going to get sort of worn on a daily basis between them. I think that would be an example where shoes um, would be another example where realistically you could get away with having sort of black formal shoes, brown formal shoes, brown boots, and, and just wear the heck out of them um, and get them resold, you know. And I think those items would probably be more likely to be worn more than perhaps a jacket. That, that would be my, or a scarf even. Mm. I suspect that anyone who's into that sort of thing is going to buy more stuff because yeah. it is just a fortunate fact of life that humans like new things and we like yeah. buying stuff and and, and calling them investment pieces is, is you know, well, that's, that's all the marketing a, spiel. Yeah, exactly. It? So, it's I mean, an investment piece till you go and buy your next investment piece. You know? um, yeah, it's going to last you, last you a life. So, how many lifetimes do you have? Mm-hmm. And, and that back to that same bit about all these recycling bins or clothes donation bins. I mean, I see them in the shops here now. So, you're going into the shop and you have a recycling bin saying that if you recycle stuff here, it's going to make new clothes or whatever, some pretty greenwashy, suspicious statements. Yeah. And they'll often give you a discount even if you buy new stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's quite obvious where they want to go with this. Yeah. They yeah. really just want you to feel good about spending some more money and buying some more. Absolutely. I mean, there's the, you know, the, again, that was launched, what, I'm going back nearly 10 years where that, that first appeared on the high street where you would have like a sort of dump bin next to the cash desk. If you put a few items in or a bag of items, it would give you a five pound voucher for your next spend, not for that spend. So you would go to the till with your your bags of clothing that you're going to buy, dump a bag in the in the the, the dump bin next to the cash desk, and then the cashier will hand you a five pound voucher off your next shop if you spend another fifty quid. You know, um, which is kind of ruining the. But when that was launched, it was it was seen as like. Ooh, Gosh, look at you! You're you know well ahead of the game here, and blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, all it was doing was encouraging you to come back in and buy more. Surely, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's all about the feel good, making you feel even better about buying buying stuff because mm-hmm. you were doing your bit for the environment as well. Exactly, and it's just that little bit in somebody's head that goes, "Oh, well, that's me done my bit," which leads me back to what I was talking about earlier. That you know, if you go into a charity shop and hand over that bag of clothes, you walk out. That's you. You've done your job. You know, a lot of people think that's it. That's that's you done it. Um, you've made a bit of space. You can go and buy something else. You know, but yeah, it's just about what you've got. What have you got there? Can't be that old. You must have liked it at one point. Have another look at it. You know. But if that's a good charity shop, they'll hang out the stuff you've handed in, priced fairly and low, so someone else will come in and say, hey, that's just what I'll be looking for. And it's back into circulation again. Mm-hmm. Which is great, you know. And it's great when you can go in to a charity shop, you know, where 20 years ago it was seen as a bit shameful and a bit, ooh, you know, are you dressed in charity shop um, clothes? But now, marvellous. It's absolutely brilliant, you know. Mm. Um, likewise, having that option to to buy online where you've got the whole you got a whole world marketplace out there um that you can you can buy peer to peer as you say and, and what what somebody's rubbish is another man's um uh, you know luxury item kind of thing so indeed mm-hmm. i think we drifted pretty wildly off topic today. Mm. <laughs> didn't even get on the locals didn't i thought we were going to talk about them. Well, we can. um because you were saying to me how much you loved loafers but we can keep that for another time 
we'll keep that for another time and keep my um, uh, keep my uh, love for loafers under covers until then. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, controversial. Indeed. Yes, right. Well, till next time, Nick. Stay good. You too. Take care. And uh, thanks for the chat. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was all for this week's episode, a new episode next week. If you'd uh, like to investigate further, uh, my blog is at welldresseddad.com, Instagram at welldresseddad. Um, you've been listening to Gomology. Please uh, leave a rating and a review if you like. I'd really appreciate it. And if you'd like to get in touch, the email address is welldresseddad at gmail.com. Thanks a lot and catch you next week. <laughs>